everybody, it's Lindsay, and welcome to another episode of the Hammy Up Club, the sustainable fashion podcast. I have not one, but two guests today, and they are both amazing. So I have Donna Sitwat, who was born and raised in Dhaka, Bangladesh. She went to school at McMaster's University in Ontario, Canada, but she currently lives in New York City, which is why I'm able to talk with her today. She has frequent trips back to Bangladesh for family, business, and she has firsthand experience with the problems caused by the fashion industry in the world capital of fashion manufacturing, as well as the unique challenges that the developing world faces that many in the West are not totally aware of. And she has made it her goal to build a brand that incorporates ecological practices, women empowerment, and sustainable development. My other guest is Jack McKenna. He is a Pennsylvania race writer, now also living in New York City. He has his MFA in creative writing from the New School and currently works in marketing and communications for Rust and Fray. While his marketing and writing talents can theoretically be applied anywhere, he is thrilled to work for a company dedicated to sustainable development and environmentalism, which align very strongly with his personal values outside of his job. Jack writes fiction to submit to literary magazines, he does Tai Chi, and he soapboxes for the various causes he believes in. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Welcome, Jack and Donna. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank Welcome. you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited we could be here. There's kind of a random encounter just mm. i saw a post that you did on facebook yeah. about sustainable styling for spring and i was like oh that's cute that's fun <laughs> that'd be a good podcast topic and now here we all are yeah, yeah. sometimes on facebook you never know if someone's actually in new york or <laughs> where they're posting from especially with sustainability i feel a lot of other countries are kind of ahead of america yes. and so a lot of people <laughs> yeah. posting really cool things are not here <laughs> but i feel like you both have really interesting backgrounds and not necessarily being in fashion and with a background from bangladesh like that's amazing so kind of what drew you to sustainability because i don't think that's necessarily everyone's first ah, that's the thing that got my attention. It's something else. And then you realize why sustainability is important or that aspect. What drew you into this field or what was kind of that first love that taught you that sustainability was important? Okay. So just to give you a little bit of background about me, I actually um, got a degree in business administration majoring in finance. So I went on to work in finance and in market I worked as a market analyst, so a lot of data and everything. So I did the corporate world, and somewhere along the line, I came across the documentary by um, the ex-vice president, Al Gore. Um, the an inconvenient truth. An inconvenient truth, right? So mm -hmm. that happened for me in 2008. And by the <clears throat> time I finished it, I was like, oh my God we really need to change our world. At the time, I was living in Bangladesh, right? And I was looking around me and, you know, you know, developing worlds, we really are not so much into consumption and, uh, and waste. So in terms of um, how can you actually make changes, there are not that many options. As opposed to here, there's room for a lot for you to do, right? Uh, so in Bangladesh, I was like, you know, just in small ways, I started like, you know, we need to plant more trees in our rooftops, and like obviously turning off the lights and like all the but the more I looked into like you know what else can I do what else can I do there's like you know there's as a person as an individual there's really not much that I can that makes a huge impact right mm -hmm. at the time it didn't dawn on me that I'm just one person and collectively the power that we have as a whole like you know that is what we need to get at right so I don't need to worry about like me solving the problem I need to worry about me contributing to the solution of this problem right 
So that was in 2008. Fast forward um, six years, I came across this uh, brand that are making bags with upcycled material, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I just had a baby at the time. You know, I wasn't working, and I saw their bags, and I saw how beautiful they are, and I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is exactly what I want to do. You know, have my own company uh, that practices eco-friendly procedures, and like, you know, that's that's what I want. That's my way of making a difference. So that's where it started, right? I saw something that's beautiful, that's being made with a really good concept. And I'm like, you know, this is what I want to make big. So I brought them over to the US, just tested the market in New York. And everyone seems to, anyone who saw it is just like, this is great. Like whoever thinks of, you know, upcycling materials to make bags. And then we looked it up. They're actually at the time, this is 2016, 2015, I didn't find any other company in the US or anywhere else for that matter that was, you know, making bags out of upcycled materials. And what upcycling is, is basically factory discarded materials that usually end up in landfills. We collect those and we utilize them and we make bags out of them. So a typical picture would be, say, a garments factory. Now they need to make, say, a thousand coats, right? Mm -hmm. And when they bring in fabric, for 1,000 coats, they don't actually bring in fabrics for 1,000 coats. They bring in fabric for 1,200 coats because they think that, you know, there will be a lot of damage. There, you know, there's, like, process uh, errors yeah, and machine, everything. Right, everything, yeah, and they're not going to... And... Exactly. So yeah. it's like, you know, we're not going to, you know, get more clothes, like, once that happens. So we, you know, they, they bring it all at once. But then they end up actually utilizing, uh, you know, say, up to 1,100 coats, right? But then that excess fabric, what do they do with it? they really don't have any function for that. So they all have this room where like all of these excess stuff are piled up, mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, at the end of the month or like at the end of six months, they all get taken to the landfills. And so that's where we go. We dig in the stuff that we think are salvageable and then we bring them and we make bags out of them. So when we started this, it was just about like, you know, it's eco-friendly, it's a cool concept. But then you start working with this idea that, you know, what I'm doing is sustainable. And sustainable is not just about the product, but it's also about how they're made. So we started working with all these small uh, craftsmen, right? And these are very small factories, like 30 people. I mean, these are workers who's been in this profession for like, you know, for their lifetime and like the previous uh, generation, like passed it on to them that kind of stuff. It's not mainstream. Bangladesh does not specialize, specialize in making bags, right? Uh, we make garments. We specialize in that, but not the craftsmanship that goes into making bags. There are, but not many. Not mm -hmm. in like, you know, in industrial, um, I mean, that kind of scenario. We don't have big factories for that. So the people we start working with are really small entrepreneurs, right? They have not more than 20 to 30 employees. And like, you know, they come in, they do their work and, you know, they go home. And that's when I was like, okay, um, we need to start setting standards for work environment, mm -hmm. right? And we need to start, you know, setting standards for who they're going to hire, how many are the gender ratio. And so it's very easy as a, as a buyer to say stuff like, oh, I want you to have like 50% workforce women and I want you to have like, you know, a, like a very um, a work environment where everybody's safe, you know, their safety concerns are being met and everything. I want you to have a work environment where everybody's over 18. We are don't have a situation of child labor, right? 
But when you're working with these people who are not even breaking even, like these social, the, the, these small entrepreneurs that I'm talking about, like you have to look at what they're facing, their problems, right? Their problems is that, you know, when they hire women, one, to guarantee their safety in the work environment is a bit of a challenge. They're seen more as a distraction for the male workers then, I mean, you know, it, it comes with the territory. This is what their reality is. We can't live in denial of what it is, what the challenges that they face, right? And then the biggest part is, you know, you know these they, they hire these women, they give them a job, they train them. The first couple of months is all about training. They're not actually doing anything that's of use to you. They're learning the craft, right? Mm-hmm. And then they start earning money and everything and something happens at home or their husbands do something, they stop coming into work. So there's a high turnover ratio when it comes to hiring women. I'm talking about the problems, the challenges of the, these things, right? So as a as an owner, if you want to have a setup with minimal glitches, you want to tend to make decisions that don't turn into glitches. So there is a reluctance of like hiring women, right? Um, and then when it comes to like... Um, Safety, those were absolutely non-negotiable. And I mean, the picture that we have drawn over here is based on some of the accidents that do happen. But by and large, 95% of the factories are not like those. There are 5% of factories that are completely beyond any regulation. Like, you know, they are not following any any codes, anything. But the 95% are. And we work with those 95%, right? You know, absolutely great working conditions. Like you will see the pictures um, of the factories in our website uh, when you when you visit us because we do believe in that transparency. Um, so my personal wish was um, to work with women empowerment, um, create something that is sustainable. And so we start, you know, sitting down with these and it's like, all right, let's let's look at your training costs. Let's look at like what happens if you do start enforcing, like, you know, taking in more women employees and stuff like that. And so now I'm proud to say that, you know, we are working with companies and they are making it a priority. Um, I mean, at least 30% of workforce is now women. Um, they are working on training. We, we are currently... Uh, working towards making our own factory there and when we do that that's going to be something with our own crash you know like so that like mothers can bring in their children and have a daycare for them like mm-hmm. right there um facilities like that and set an example for everyone else that like these things work i mean for them i think it's just a matter of exposure and learning and you know once these things are done by people um i feel like the rest kind of like it's like you know what they have, if you create that comfort for people when they work for you, they will keep working for you. Mm-hmm. They will not leave, right? Um, so that's us. <laughs> that's what we're doing. To wrap it all up, and then, like, you know, that's, like, that's our challenge, and then that's what we're trying to do. Um, but the, ho- the goal is create a product that is at par with any other product that's in the market, if not better, to do it and to create it in a way that's uh, respectful uh, towards the environment, uh, to do it in a way that is ethical and uh, just bring it to people. I personally, myself, I'm not going to say that I'm you know extremely like zero waste or anything like that. No, I mean, I still, but I do tell you, if I, if I'm given an option, of something that I like very much. And if you tell me that it's done in, you know, in an ethical manner and it's done in an eco-friendly manner, I am willing to pay the premium for that product and then curb 
my purchases in other areas. Uh, but I will do that. And so I think the problem actually lies with uh, not bringing that, that quality of product out there for people to, ha- to give them that choice that, mm-hmm. you know what, you can buy something fast fashion, you can buy something that's, um, that is going to get wasted in like three months and you're going to have to throw it away. Um, but you can also buy this that's, you know, that's extremely good quality and it's done in like, you know, in a certain standard and, um, and you choose. And why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Who of us knowingly make choices that are not sustainable? And yeah, so that's kind of um, my challenge as the marketer for Rust and Fry is to get that idea out there and to the people where it's um, part of it is like, like if, even if you're just being in totally self-centered world, like the real cost of fast fashion is just it it costs more than than sustainable fashion. It's it's because you're gonna have to replace it sooner. It's these really large fast fashion brands like Zara and H and M would not be pushing the cheap products if it didn't make them more money in the long run. So my job as the marketer is to be is to get the word out there that if you save up a little bit and buy the slightly more expensive sustainable item, it'll last you longer and it'll be cheaper in the long run. And so and one of the things I like to write about is how as much as I'm here to promote Rust and Fray, it's it's not just about Rust and Fray, it's about everything. Like for example, safety razors. I'm I am now like I will stand on the mountain tell everyone about how great safety razors are because they're ridiculously cheaper than those little plastic razors and it's also better for the environment. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's the kind of thing we need to get out there to the people because as Donna was saying is we can't expect everyone to go completely zero waste, completely 100% sustainable. And that's and that's not a like an attack on the people who are. We really respect that, but it's... What, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's really ha- hard. Yeah, but what we need is everyone to go a little bit more sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. We need a, a million people not having a million people getting reusable coffee cups instead of the single use ones. That's quite a lot of coffee cups. Mm-hmm. I can't do math. I'm a writer. But even if it's not <laughs> a million people, but your group of friends, yeah. that yeah. just cuts back yeah. on a ton per week, even. And I think that's also kind of a good point that just trying to get the idea out in general because I don't live in Bangladesh. Like, I don't know anyone that's worked at a Mm. garment factory. So I don't necessarily have that idea right top of mind. Mm -hmm. And so myself, my friends, that involves research or personal interest to finding out more about that and, like, doing a deep dive Mm -hmm. and... Sometimes you just need someone to tell you. That's like why marketing exists. Someone to tell you like, this, this is here. Did you know? Um, And so I think it's important that those efforts are applied to things that are good for us too. And it's the way our current society is set up is to like encourage that invisibility. It's your clothing, you, the first world or your clothing is made all the way in the other side of the planet. And you have, it just appears in your store one day and then it gets thrown and you throw it out in a can and then it goes away and it disappears. And we live the, we live our lives in this very, just here's your needs. Here's your, 
here's how, and you don't know how it's done, you don't know what happens with it, you don't, and so part of both my job as a, uh, with Rust and Frey, and just like, I personally do this because it's important, is, hey, no, that's not how the world works, it's everything is interconnected, and if you're wearing a piece of clothes from, let's say, Zara, that was made in a factory in Bangladesh or in Turkey, and there's a chance it was made in this horrible condition and um and if you throw it throw it out there's a good chance it's just going to end up in a landfill for the next hundreds of years and just mm -hmm. causing all these problems and um just to go off topic a little bit um i do part of my job is doing research every day to keep up with all of the mm -hmm. challenges and all of, and what's going on. And one of the things that just recently happened, a really big piece of news, is that China just basically stopped buying all the plastic recycling from the, the US. US. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just kind of like threw a wrench into the whole world recycling system. And when you look it up, it's like, yeah, China has a point here. The US wasn't really recycling, period. It was, yeah. it was just kind of throwing everything into a pile and just shipping it over and making them recycle it. And then, and then when you Google, like who is causing the most plastic pollution, China would come up, but it's our plastic pollution that, mm -hmm. and so it's our whole society is based around this. Like, Oh, you just put it in the, in a can and it'll get taken care of, but it's not, sometimes it's not getting taken care of. It's now the U S has to, actually build up a recycling infrastructure because mm -hmm. not it's not just china anymore a bunch of other countries in the region are like yeah that's a good point we're not going to do this anymore we're gonna we need to take care of our own now and make sure our rivers are clean and so now the u.s can't just dump its problem on the mm -hmm. on southeast asia and just expect it to go away yeah i think waste reduction and waste management is something that um we really, really need to start looking into. Because if you are contributing, like, you know, if your industry is contributing 80% to the total waste, um, then you really need to start thinking, okay, how can we manage this better? Mm -hmm. Because even a little bit of a change actually has a massive impact on the whole, right? Um, so how can we do that? I think, you know, when you're talking about this, um, like our our whole design is on upcycling, which is basically waste reduction. Anything mm -hmm. that is supposed to end up in landfill, that's what we go and save, right? But how else can we do that? Like definitely more and more. Um, how can we recycle better? How do we more biodegradable stuff, right? Um, just me personally, I'm like I go to the store. I will not. I refuse to take plastic utensils. I refuse mm -hmm. to take like you know if you're going to be giving it to me in a plastic bowl, then I don't want to come here anymore. And there are stores that are doing it. I'll go to a bar and have a drink, but if you give me a plastic straw, then I have a problem with you. Um, and I will vo start vocalizing it, right? I mean, this is my little way of saying that this is what I want. Give me what I want. You are an institution. You are a company. Like, you know, you want to make business, then you have to give me what I want, right? Just to, th these are small ways, but I feel like, you know, together, if we start doing it, Start small, start with a straw, but 
as a whole, like I started with the straw, but then now it's utensils. Now I'm not going to go to a store where they're going to serve me in a plastic bowl. Now I'm not going to do any takeaway because they're going to give it to me in a plastic bag. Now I don't want to go through grocery shopping. It's inundated with like plastic bags, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to take my own bags. And like, so it's, I started small. It took years, but the changes are, I am bringing about that change, right? And if all of us start bringing about that change, can you imagine the kind of reduction that we're going to have in like just the waste that we create? Mm -hmm. Even when I'm throwing away stuff, like my garbage, I look at it and I get sick at Mm. how much garbage just my household, and there's only three of us, there's me and my husband and my son, that's it, right? And I'm throwing away so much waste. And it's like, then I have to stop buying this. If it's going to come in this kind of condition, then I just have to stop buying it and start buying stuff that doesn't create so much waste, right? Composting. Why are we not talking about more of it? Because if we just separated the all the organic materials from all the plastic, I mean, that itself makes waste reduction such a, it makes such a huge difference. And like, because then all of this goes to the same place and plastic, when it's, um, you know, when it's mixed with all this organic stuff, like that also melts and together creates a lot more methane than it on its own if it were recycled, right? Mm-hmm. So if we just separated it, it's not too much. Just have two garbage bags in your house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually put it away in my freezer, all the organic stuff. Just put it in the freezer every Friday. It, it comes locally, even in New York City. How much more easier is it going to get? Like it comes to your locale once a week, sometimes twice a week, and just go and drop it off. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think, you know, people are going to be listening to this outside of New York City. And so mm-hmm. I think it's some people that's a new concept, though, composting things. Um, we try and talk about it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because these are little things that you do that makes a huge difference. And let's look at those stuff that doesn't completely radically change our lifestyle. It doesn't mean that I have to give up so many things all at once. But there are things that I can do and start doing that can bring about change. And composting is like one of those very easy stuff, right? Little things. I have a child now. And um, sometimes I'm like, you know, what is this thing about me that makes me want to grow stuff? That makes me want to build? And I look back the childhood practices that I had growing up. Uh, And one of the things was my mother loved gardening and she loved planting like, you know, fruits and like, you know, she loved like, you know, just her own grocery stuff. She loved and she just loved the just like growing stuff. Right. So she would ask me to go water the plants every single day. And then I started adopting this plant, like some plants were just mine Mm -hmm. and I was responsible for taking care of it. You know, whether that's like giving it the right fertilizer, whether it's like it's watering it, making sure like, you know. All of that. And I think it happened from a very early age where I just like, I loved things bearing fruits. But I also respected the notion that it takes nurturing. So you have to nurture it. You have to respect it. You have to be good to it. And then it's going to give back, right? And, you know, the joy of that was immense. In a city, when you're living in a city, these are, it's kind of hard, but it can be done. Right. So even I live in an apartment, you know, but I will have small potted plants that um, I will have my cilantros and I will have my spring onions and I will have my mints. You know, they're they're growing right there. And, you know, my son is watching me like, you know, changing the water and everything, taking care of it. And one day he's going to do it. And he's going. I mean, these are little changes. And when I give you example of little changes, these are the little changes that I'm talking about. And then once you start doing it, once you really start caring about this world around you, you start, you know, bringing these changes into your life, 
then, you know, when you're making a purchase, then you're going to think about, do I really need this? And if I am going to be buying this, let me buy something that is more eco-friendly than not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how many t-shirts do I really need? What is that one additional thing going to mean to my closet, right? Um, but if I save this money and I put it away or like, you know, or I invest it somewhere, like, you know, the return you get out of that, there's so much more joy into that. But it's also a mental, like, you know, it's a mindset that you get into and you won't get into it today. You won't get into it tomorrow. It's those little practices that you will be doing every single day. And then, you know, somewhere along the line, you'll be like, you know, it's more about your mindset. That's like, that's more into conserving and preserving than really about using and consuming and just destruction. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes me think of the idea of going to the gym where you go to the gym once and it's not immediately. Yeah. 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 You're, You're not strong. Yeah. But you go and you like a half hour every other day and then you might notice something after a couple of weeks and then you feel motivated and then you do a little bit more and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you're like, I'm super hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even about, for me, I think it started with that, right? Yeah. I, because I wanted to look a certain way, right? But over time, it really has become about like, I have to face this amount of things today. The mental strength that I need starts from within this body, right? So if I feel strong, if I've done my work at the gym, it's a reminder of like how strong I am as a person. And I take that with me. Forget And obviously the adrenaline that you get, mm-hmm. right? I mean... All of that and the and, and the confidence that you get and everything. And then you take it out and then it applies to the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. But gym is like one of those things. like, And it's still hard. It never got easier for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how people like, you keep going, you keep going. And then, like, you know, it gets easier. No, it's th- that half an hour, that one hour that I put in there, it is still very, very hard. But the next 23 hours that I have is just amazing. So yeah. that's great. That's the payoff, right? Yeah. So this is great because we were talking like the little things, just the little, the most basic things that you can do to like make the world a better place, which mm-hmm. is kind of at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do with like sustainability, like trying to make this a better world. Oh, it's yeah. imminent right now with everything right. that's going on. It's, I mean, um, and that's why like people like Greta. Greta is amazing. Greta Thunberg. She is like, you know, she she actually makes it, brings it to your face, like how imminent this is. Mm -hmm. Uh, This isn't going away. The 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 huge garbage, um, the uh, in the Pacific. um, Yeah, the Pacific garbage patch. Yes, that used to be the size of France. Now it's becoming the size of Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's growing in a rate that is just so scary. Uh, yeah. To talk to talk about that, and one of the um, one of the things I try to incorporate in all my writing about this is you need both the personal decisions and the political decisions. We we as a company don't really like we can't really talk about the political decisions because we're trying to focus more on the personal decisions. But you need you need to be able to do both the I'm going to give up plastic straws and wear slow fashion items while also being keeping up on the news of like worldwide protests by Greta Thunberg and all of this 
um, Green New Deal movements and this kind of energy. Seen the climate change reports that sneakily oh. come out on Black Friday so <laughs> no one sees them and talks about them. Yes. But you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's it's terrifying to realize just how fast all this happened. Like plastic pollution, like we only started commercial plastic in the 1960s and now we have, and now we're like our seas are plastic soup kind of. So it's, it's just how rapid all of this is. It's, um, industrial revolution is only 200 years old and it's like threatening to permanently alter the climate in hundred, 200 years, years from now, people are going to look back at the, this time and be like, what were they thinking? Like this, there, there's going to be this sense of just how much damage the society has done in how short a time and it and it's mind-boggling to think but it's also if you if we can do that much damage in that little time we can also fight back very fast like look how fast the plastic straw issue blew up it like two Just years takes ag- one picture of one turtle <laughs> that's all it takes that one poor turtle and then suddenly everyone it's the biggest thing on everyone's mind and people like turtles yeah <laughs> No, um, I, I really, I do think that the last 200 years has been some of the greatest um, years in the history of mankind as well in terms of like, you know, the innovation and development and everything that we've done, right? But I think, you know, obviously pacing ourselves is like the key as with everything else. And now that we've developed, we've, we're also seeing the cost that it comes with and it's time to address those as mm-hmm. well. So if that means like, you know, change our way of producing things, then let's do that. It's a way of change our way of consuming things, then let's do that, right? Because it's about hitting that balance. And uh, the other thing is why we emphasize on the the personal, um, you know, the, the personal uh, commitment to this is because it's a demand pull situation. Um, if you want something, government realizes that this is what you want, this is what's good for you, and they start making policies around it. But if you personally don't have it, if you don't have a large growing body wanting something, why would the policies change? Yeah. I mean, that is there to serve, the policies are there to serve for the greater good of, like, of the mass, right? Um, If the mass, but then, you know, collective mass, we have to get to that. So your choice, my choice, everyone else's slowly, like, you know, we become this group where, like, this is a change that I want to see reflected out there. Um, And so government, you know, starts making those policies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the Green Deal is something that really, really, really needs to happen. And for (laughs) that to happen, it needs all of our support. Mm -hmm. And um, just to bring this back to the development part, um, a part of of what needs to happen is, this is one of Greta Thunberg's big um, points, is climate justice, where it's the first world countries like the US and Western Europe, they're the ones who've been the most developed like industrialized and they're the ones who need to slow down the most so that these other countries that are still developing have a chance to build themselves up and live in a live in a more modernized society and so this means it's especially important for all of the listeners in these first world countries to this is where the biggest momentum for the personal changes needs to occur it's we need to start pushing for a closed loop society we need to start pushing for 
we we've been benefiting from it so for so long now we need to actually give back and make it real I completely agree with you there, but I'm, I would just phrase it in a, a little differently. Okay. I don't think it's about slowing down. It's really about uh, putting our attention in, and engaging our resources in a different way. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is all. Um, in a way that is a lot more conserving than it is currently. It's really, I mean, if I put a lot more effort into the research and development into renewable energy... Uh, then that is what's going to happen, the creation of renewable energy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but right now, because we still have fossil fuel energy, and that's easier, that's what we're like, you know, we're going with. But just it's it's just a matter of priority, right? And that's what the Green Deal does. It creates, it, you know, it, it gives you all these subsidies and help for people who are looking to invest into the R&D sector of renewable energy. And, you know, you think job creation doesn't happen from there? Of course it does. Mm-hmm. But everything that's going to come out of that sector is a lot more environmental friendly than that we have currently. So I don't believe that it's going to slow down the economy. It, it won't. Uh, well, it is not, basically, not slow down the economy, but um, slow... Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean, like yeah. slow down consumption and all of that stuff. Yeah. But it's just it's just a matter of finding different way of doing things, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, we all want that dopamine surge. We're all doing things to get that dopamine surge in our body, right? And where are we getting from? Some t- for some people, it's about buying that T-shirt. For some people, it's about like getting something and consuming it. Um, for some people, it's not caring about, you know, the kind of uh, waste that you're leaving behind. It's really about at that moment how much fun you're having, right? Um, but if you start caring about the turtle and if you start caring about the, you know, the growing garbage patch, um, then anything that happens to minimize that is going to give you that dopamine surge, right? Mm-hmm. Anything that happens to save that turtle is going to give you that dope because you care about it. You're invested into it. So I think what we need to do is some of us who are aware of this is just create more material for people to be invested into. They see, let them see it. Let, you know, let the discomfort settle in so that when some, they can do something to get out of that discomfort, to feel better that, you know what, I'm doing something better. I'm creating something for a change, right? Mm-hmm. So more of what you're doing, more of like what we're doing, just create more awareness of all the things that you'd like to see change in this world. Um, All the things that is not going in the right direction, bring attention to it and suggest a solution and let's talk about it and do whatever we can. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I really like about sustainable fashion is one most people hear the term and they don't know much about sustainable fashion beforehand. They tend to think like super hippie looks like everything hemp. Yeah. uh, But like we need to get to the stage where um, sustainability isn't an option. It's just the way things are done. And so a lot of the sustainable fashion world is no, you can, you can wear the cute sundresses and the, the cool the cool jackets and the and the chic bags and it's sustainable it's just that's just how it's made and one obviously one of the first people who did this were everlane where they were just like let's make all our basics sustainable and they just came out with a new sustainable sneaker yeah how cool cool is that right and it's but it's one of the one of the challenges for us is we're getting is we need to get beyond that stage of 
we're the sustainable company. We're the we do things the sustainable way. We need to get to the stage where, oh, we're this, we're just a cool company that does makes fashion. Oh yeah, by the way, we actually care about what happens yeah. to the planet. <laughs> Well, yeah. I think there are a lot of brands that do that. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. It's, it's, we agree with you. Because they are hugely. thinking, like, our brand is chic, it's yeah. urban, it's whatever. And there is an idea behind sustainable. It's natural mm. dyes. It's natural fibers. Absolutely. It's a certain look. And mm-hmm. so we don't want to lose part of the market by saying sustainable mm. when things look like they are appealing to a different market. But honestly, if you just look at the tags in almost any store, you'll find something that's sustainable, whether it's made out of tinsel or modal or bamboo, or Mm -hmm. it has a recycled plastic bottle somewhere in it. Um, So I do think there are a lot of brands that Mm -hmm. are doing that and they just don't brand themselves as Mm -hmm. sustainable, which Mm -hmm. is important to know because yeah, just like walk into a banana Republic, you're going to find shirts made out of tinsel. Like that's an option. And to that point, then you don't have to think, oh, if I want to shop sustainably, I can only shop at XYZ companies. There are other options out there. Absolutely. And um, to give Zara and um, H&M their due, they're changing their ways. Yeah. Um, I know the factories that they work with. And those are some of the best factories, work condition-wise. So all the, you know, all the slack that they... Keep, like it's not even real so it's almost like you know let's not go after these companies like you know they're the evil or like that they're, they're, but do make your preference heard that mm-hmm. you know i would like it better if you bring more sustainable options to me which is what h&m is doing they're doing the whole conscious collection right um zara is trying to like you know take back all of their stuff that they're trying to recycle their products they're trying to make it out of recycled leathers we're all trying mm-hmm. um but it's the scale. I mean, I just feel like, you know, because they're such big companies and I feel like they can do it in a much larger scale than they really do instead of being like, you know, such a small gesture about these things, they can actually make much bigger mm-hmm. gesture. But that will come from the demand. And that's why well, I keep yeah, saying. exactly. Like they are doing better now, but that didn't happen until people started yeah. demanding it. I yeah. feel like yeah. every couple of years yeah. there would be a news article about someone yeah. like finding something stitched into a jacket from Zara where it was like a garment worker being like, help me. And then people were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We have to help out the garment workers. Zara is like exploiting labor. And now finally a couple of Some of, of those stories articles, are true. Some of this, I, because I work with these, uh, the manufacturing end of it, and I've seen the reality there as well. Some of these stories are true, but you will be surprised how much of this is also propaganda. Um, and it goes back but to propaganda like... propaganda to like benefit who? Oh, let me tell yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, tell me. Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. So whenever you hear um, all these like, you know, um, oh my god like these factory workers they're not getting paid and everything and like this is the fact they get paid about equivalent to like $12 um, you know $12 a month that's what they earn right um, and they talk about Bangladeshi workers but okay and this is what you hear it's like what they survive on $12 but okay let's convert the $12 let's there's purchasing power parity let's let's take that into equation um, let's look at the fact that if you take that $12 away from them they're actually sitting there with $0 and no hope no education nothing right um, 
So why are we going after this one country and you know specific data from this one country? Why are we not talking about the neighboring countries that are also doing the same business in the same working conditions? Why are we not talking about the African countries that are also doing it? Why keep going after that one country? Because if you do it, then business kind of like if you for these companies for the attention to go away from them it's like all right let's just not work with this because they seem to be bad news every time and we want to be avoiding you know all of this so let's go to say the neighboring country india for it or let's go to indonesia for it or let's go to morocco yeah europe is safer let's just go there maybe that's better but what happens to all the lost job that you've just created as a result of it right I'm not saying that you know there's no room for improvement there always is but I feel like you know you also have to be aware of the propaganda that goes into it sometimes some of it is created some it's a lot of it is true um, and the solution lies with creating regulatory bodies creating you know a lot of quality checks where you're constantly monitoring like you know what kind of companies you're working with what kind of you know um uh, how are these workers treated? What kind of environment they're provided and everything, uh, which is what most of these companies do. Uh, so I, I can only speak uh, specifically about Bangladesh. So they actually have a zone. It's called export processing zone. And only in this zone can you have factories that make garments, um, garments products, right? So they've taken it out of the city. Um, and, you know, I know a lot people just like, you know, take a bus, you know, they go there and they do their work and then they go back home and all the factories are all newly built there with, you know, fire exits with like everything, um, that is supposed to be there and they're paid market rate. And if you are going to have market rate in Bangladesh, exactly. market, rate. market rate. Yes. So if you are going to have a problem with their market rates, for example, you like, why are they getting paid $12? They should be paid $16, right? Just that $4 hike, what that is going to do is raise. So if, you, if, if one sector goes up, all the other sector has to go up because you won't be able to retain labor otherwise, mm -hmm. right? Because that sector, you know, if pushing a price, everyone's like, you know, I want to work in that sector. So as a whole, prices go up. Like wage, if wages go up, what happens is that, you know, people start having a lot more money. And in the short run, you have a lot of money in your pocket, right? But you are spending a lot more, right? Inflation, yeah. Exactly. And what happens in a developing uh, country when you have inflation? You s automatically lose that purchasing power because every prices of goods have gone up. So basically, you're really not better off. In a year, you're actually worse off because the inflation multiplier effect is much higher than how much your wages have gone up, right? And so then you're facing this crisis and then you ask for more, right and there's no more to be given and then so all these companies that are trying doing business is like you know what i just raised prices with you i made one t-shirt which i paid you three dollar for i'm paying you four dollar now and you're asking for more again i'm not paying you five dollar i'm just going to go to the neighboring country or a country that's worse off that i'm just going to give it to them right so what they are facing is basically complete loss of contract and complete jobless situations and so it has to be done i'm not saying that you know you should stay stuck at 12 dollars, but i'm saying that it should it should be done the economy is doing for the rest of the sectors in that country right so i think for, for Bangladesh, um labor prices i know have gone up significantly uh, but in a massively popular we have like 170 million people 170 million people with education rate being like less than 48 percent right so 48 percent of the uh, are have 
high school graduates and the rest of the 52% do not have any education. If you don't have education, you don't have skill set. If you don't have skill set, what are you going to do? What are you good for? And, you know, you you live in a country that's not, you don't have a government taking care of you. Mm-hmm. You don't have the resources, then you have to work for it. So if you don't have these jobs, then you're going for prostitution, you're going for slavery, that's, you're going for like, you know, you're opting yourself to like, you know, I will be a construction worker in a country where they need it. And so there are a lot of migrant workers that's happening, you know, they go away somewhere else and they're treated extremely poorly, but they'll take in those conditions. So it's not a linear situation. Mm-hmm. All I'm going to say is that there's always room for improvement, but everything has to happen at a pace that is manageable, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I stand. So how, what, are, now I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on Fashion Revolution and like Fashion Revolution Week? Because I feel like that's really kind of almost specifically targeted towards Bangladesh. Yeah. Being, based upon the Rana Plaza yeah. collapse and all that. Yeah. Um, I would like to know why just just Bangladesh they're targeting. I would like to know why they're not going after the other countries I as mean, well. I mean, I do think it has grown since to yeah. target other countries and other I haven't places? yet heard. You haven't? Mm. Okay. Yeah. No. I've only heard examples from like Bangladeshi workers, Bangladesh factories and everything. And I do know that the the, the the examples that they give are legit examples, right? But like I said, 95% of the companies are not operating that way, but they are going after the 5% that are not, right? Which that is could not be the, good though, right? Of course, you know, there's, like I said, there's, I mean, we don't want that 5% to exist either, right? Mm-hmm. Um but I can give you a lot more examples of like, you know, China facing this situation. I can give you a lot more example of like, you know, African countries, Cambodia facing that situation of like Indonesia facing that situation, India, neighboring country. Like I can give you a lot more example of that happening, but we are not, it's not getting talked about, right? So why specifically pick one country and go after that? That's, if you are the principle, I completely respect the principle that they're going after. But be a little fair about who you're going after. Just don't make one target and don't make one scapegoat. Um, be responsible in the consequences of like who you're targeting mm-hmm. and what you're going to accomplish out of this. Um, to put it in a broader, slightly broader perspective, it's we don't want to play a shuffleboard with with the issue. We want to like. It's not solving an issue to just move it to another country. It's you need to actually develop. Um, so if you look at the history of how industrializing a nation works, uh, fashion tends to be the first industry it like that it works in. Um, and this is like I read a quote from an economist somewhere. I forget what the quote was. I forget who said it, but it was like every nation has a sewing T-shirt stage at its. It's just, it's an easy industry for, like, you're going out of the, like, agricultural society, farming society, and into, like, a more industrialized, modern society. Fashion is one of the first industries that you can, you can set up some sewing machines, you can set up some everything. And the first, the, like, the industrial revolution started with the fashion industry. The goal here is not to just, if, if we want to, like, have real long-term change and real, like, get out of the cycle we can't just oh they oh we just switched to the next country that's poor and it's we need to really think about how to build up all of these all of these people and all of these countries and really like make these sustainable so that 
everyone so that they can build up, they have the opportunity to build up their lives. Um, Donna, you were talking about um, The Economist with microtransactions or something. Um, Yeah, um, yeah, the Grameen Bank. To be fair, I do think fashion revolution has brought about a lot of change because, you know, because of the noise that they've made, uh, the regulatory bodies all around the world are that much more yes. aware. They're that much more proactive now. They are bringing about their change as much as possible. So it's not definitely this is not going to waste. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I would just think that, you know, you want to be fair um, at not just targeting one country for this or just one specific you know place for this just like as a whole production like you know this should the same thing should stick for china the same things you know the same standard should stick for all the other countries that you know you're working with it needs to be a worldwide effort yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I definitely think it is there are international branches for mm-hmm. fashion revolution yeah. like, even if you just search fashion revolution on instagram mm-hmm. it's like which one do you want to follow? Like Fashion Revolution Australia, Fashion Revolution US, like mm-hmm. Fashion Revolution Germany. Like mm-hmm. so to that point, I just think it because their kind of starting point was mm-hmm. the Rana Plaza collapse, mm-hmm. they always circle back to that. Yeah. And the the Rana Plaza thing is really the most one of the most tragic things that has happened. Um it really did bring everybody's attention to like mm-hmm the negligence uh, that went into business practices, right? Um, And it's not just garment sector, like even construction sector, uh, like so many sectors that are dealing with like workers' lives, like they're giving their lives for these kind of, you know, accidents that happen. Um, So it was an extremely, extremely rude awakening, but a lot of good has come out of it and hopefully a lot more good is going to come out of it as well. Yeah. So that's actually probably like a really good place to sort of wrap this up. We end every episode with like a hand me up, a mm-hmm. pro tip, a word of advice, yeah, okay, like okay. something that you just want to pass on to people, your hand me up, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you a second to think like, what's my hand me up or my hope for the future or my word of advice? I'll, I'll use a quote from, um, Franklin Roosevelt. Um, So he said that the glory doesn't belong to the critic. It belongs to the person in the arena who is fighting with blood and sweat and dust. Be that person in the arena. Don't be the critic. Go out there. Get the dust. Fight with your blood and sweat make that difference it's not about taking anyone down down it's about making that difference by using yourself as an example my my hand me up is way less cool than that um <laughs> uh just uh in new york they recently launched uh for the new york city listeners they just recently launched an initiative to put a massive amount of clothing recycling bins everywhere in the city and I literally just was, like I had a pile of t-shirts that I didn't want to, didn't want anymore, and I didn't think anyone wanted wanted them donated because they're old and ratty. But I dropped it off at this bin, and it's gonna be um, shredded up and made into like stuffing for like a pillow or something. And it's just I 
think it's with the um oh man actually i forget what the name of the organizations that did it the... helpsy grow nyc no um the grow nyc grow yeah, nyc good. yeah grow nyc um I, I thought it was the uh circular economy something macarthur foundation they might be the ones funding yeah, it. I yeah. know Grow MIC, they do different events like around different neighborhoods yeah. throughout mm-hmm. the week where it's like, we're in East Midtown on mm-hmm. Thursdays and mm-hmm. now we're in Flatbush on mm-hmm. Saturday mornings, like things like that. And they have clothing and textile yeah. recycling at mm-hmm. these events, but having a box yeah, it's, that's just, you'll know it's always there. That, and that's, that's helpful. It, yeah, that's it's they're all over the city now and it's just, we need to stop wasting our clothes. It's just a complete waste of energy and greenhouse gases and material and goods it's just and so it's they're they're everywhere now so go find your nearest one and get rid of your clothes there yeah and even if you're not in new york city i know helpsy and their website's helpsy h-e-l-p-s-y dot co i believe they have boxes all around the country where they will shred things and mm-hmm. recycle them into pulp for xyz purposes um so that if you're not in new york Maybe you will find one of their locations near you. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think. There there are a lot of options for clothing recycling. H&M, who yeah. we were just yeah. talking about, they have the boxes in their stores. Yeah. Also, metal recycling. I feel like Silicon Valley needs to come up with something. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All the phones and the gadgets and everything that's getting thrown away. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't yet come across a decent solution for that. In New York... We have, what is it, the Lower East Side Ecology Center where they do e-waste recycling. Mm -hmm. And they have, they go to all the different neighborhoods at some point throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And when I say neighborhoods, it's very specific. Like, today we're in Kipps Bay. Mm -hmm. This day we're in Gramercy. Mm -hmm. So they really try to hit, like, every neighborhood. So you Mm -hmm. can't be like, eh, it's too far. (laughs) They'll come near you at some point. Um, And they do that. I know Apple just kind of started a buyback recycling program mm-hmm. with a lot of their devices oh, which is cool i still have the box in my closet to send back an old laptop i gotta do it um but i agree a lot of that a i think people are nervous to recycle it because they just think there's data on there yeah i want to yeah. Yeah. um someone will see it but absolutely because that stuff's toxic yeah <laughs> i i when i was in school i worked for a different department in the school and one of my jobs over the summer was they just had this closet full of old like computers that like mm-hmm. they had died, but they, but it's it, like it's this whole big process to get it like everything. Okay, we gotta get the things deleted on it, and then we gotta recycle it, and then, so and I spent like a whole summer like figuring out that process, and it's it's not easy to do, and you think of how many like little bits of precious metal from this mine here and then that was made in a factory in this country here and just how much work went into something that's just sitting in a closet collecting dust now it's that we as the world gets more electronic we need good like closed loop electronic recycling yeah i agree well there we go that's a good hope for the future hand me up everyone recycle your clothes try and recycle your electronics yeah (laughs) There are possibilities out there, but thank you so much for being here. Can you tell people where they can find you or learn more about what you're working on, Rustin Frey, all that sort of stuff? 
Okay, so Rust and Fray, you'll find us online, www.rustandfray.com. Um, you can visit our Instagram page and Facebook page. Feel free to follow us. We don't only post pictures of us. Um, our Facebook page is mostly about um, a lot of ecological things that's going on out there in terms of development, all the things that are problems that are out there and the little solutions that people are coming up with. We tend to highlight those um, to set an example out there. So yeah, feel free to follow us and... Um, and our journal page, which I write. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> yes. the thing and the that blog. started it off, yes. sustainable styling oh. for spring and yeah. sustainably spring cleaning your wardrobe, yeah. all those fun things. So every week, um, it's Fridays now, so every Friday I'll, I post an article about some sustainable or fashion related uh, topic and you just follow us and let us know what you think and check out my writing. <laughs> awesome. Where can people find you? Um, it's uh, all on the Rust and Fray. All on Rust and Fray. Oh, yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, there you go, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hand Me Up Club. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>